Hey folks, welcome to Footnotes. I'm your host, Jamar Tisby, bringing news and views to help you become a more informed citizen, activist, and believer. On this episode, impeachment, impeachment, impeachment! All I talk about are things pertaining to the impeachment of the 45th president, and I offer some commentary on the Explosive Christianity Today article supporting the president's removal from office. But first, like we usually do about this time, some announcements. I want to remind you about the Witness Foundation. Visit thewitnessfoundation.co. Our goal is to raise a million dollars, which will act as the principal sum for a new endowment. And we will use the interest off of this endowment to offer financial grants to black Christian ministries. It's a big goal. It's an achievable goal, but we need your help. We have recently partnered with an organization called Faith Street, so now you can give on a regular basis. You can make a one-time donation still, but you can also set up recurring gifts on an annual, a monthly, or even a weekly basis. So go to thewitnessfoundation.co, thewitnessfoundation.co, set up your regular gift or one-time gift, and as you think about ending the 2019 year, Please factor the Witness Foundation into your year-end giving and or your upcoming 2020 giving. Make us part of your plans so that we can fund Black Christian ministries to the glory of God. Also, one of my favorite parts about footnotes, the reviews. We are up to 244 reviews. This is the little podcast that could and it can because of your support. Today, I'm just going to read one review. And uh, the name alone really bumped it up in the rankings here, in my opinion. It comes from Fuzzy Star Cloud. Fuzzy Star Cloud, five-star review, says, This is one of the best podcasts I've heard. Religion can be helpful or harmful. I have experienced both. I've wrestled with my faith for a long time. The input of mature Christians who are intellectually honest and centered in the love of God is incredibly valuable. Jamar has a message that I believe everyone will benefit from listening to. Thank you for the blessing you have been to me, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much for that wonderful review, Fuzzy Star Cloud. And folks, keep it coming. Let's crack the 300 mark here before too long. Here's an action step for you. If you think this episode is helpful, provocative, interesting, just something that should be heard, as Fuzzy Star Cloud said, then pass it on. Share it with a friend. A lot of folks will be traveling over the holidays, and uh, this is great to listen to on the road. And uh, many people are looking for a new podcast or different voices, so pass this along to them. And if you haven't already, here's your moment to subscribe, rate, and review. So thank you again, and we're going to keep it moving here. Impeachment. On Wednesday, November 18th, 2019, President Donald J. Trump became just the third president in U.S. history to be impeached. In a vote conducted in the House of Representatives, Congress people sustained two articles of impeachment against the president. Just as a reminder, these were in relation to his dealings with Ukraine, specifically it involved a phone call in June of 2019 in which the the president seemed to withhold over $400 million in aid to Ukraine until the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, publicly announced an investigation into Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. 
The baseless claim Trump was making was that while Joe Biden was vice president, he dismissed an investigator who was looking into possible corruption of the same Ukrainian company on which Hunter Biden sat as a member of the board. Again, these claims have been proven to be spurious, but that was the narrative. So the two articles of impeachment were these. The first article charges him with abuse of power for pressuring Ukraine to assist him in his re-election campaign by damaging Democratic rivals, namely Joe Biden. The second article charges him with obstruction of Congress for blocking testimony and refusing to provide documents in response to House subpoenas in the impeachment inquiry. So on Wednesday, the vote finally went down, and here's the breakdown. Both articles ended up passing. The abuse of power article passed by a count of 234, as uh, with 197 opposed. Obstruction of Congress article, that passed too, at a count of 229-4 and 198 opposed. So some other relevant data and context about this impeachment vote. This is just the third time in U.S. history that a president has been impeached. First was Andrew Johnson back in the 19th century. Then was Bill Clinton for his uh, lying under oath and and dealings uh, with an extramarital affair while he was in the White House. Um, Nixon also was in the process of being impeached, but that that vote never happened because he resigned before he could be formally impeached. And then now Trump is just the third president to be officially impeached. As we look at the vote, no Republicans voted to impeach the president. Not a single declared Republican broke ranks with the party in light of what I'm sure history will determine was clear proof of impeachable wrongdoing on the part of the president. Justin Amash notably switched from Republican to Independent in protest of the president and what the GOP had become. Tulsi Gabbard, she has an interesting vote. She is a Democratic presidential candidate and so is in the news a lot. And she was the only person, either Democrat or Republican or even Independent, she was the only person who voted present on both articles. In other words, she refused to take a side in this vote. Later in a video she posted on social media, she said, My vote today is a vote for much-needed reconciliation and hope that together we can heal our country to usher in a bright future for the American people, our country, and our nation. Well, I'm not buying it. The way to reconciliation is not through a false peace that winks at wrongdoing, but through pursuing justice that honors truth and dignifies people. A vote of merely present proclaims peace, peace, when there is no peace. Also, where was President Trump during this impeachment vote? He wasn't in D.C. He and his vice president, Mike Pence, were holding a rally in Michigan, which is a battleground state for the 2020 election. And during that rally, Trump said it was almost as if impeachment had not happened or didn't happen. And uh, amid thousands of, of cheering supporters, I'm sure it seemed like that to him, Nevertheless, this will go down in history. He will be only the third president to be impeached. Another important piece of information, and this came even before the impeachment vote, Trump released a six-page letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and it was thoroughly Trumpian. 
It was filled with lies and half-truths. These are demonstrably false. It's not just a partisan opinion on this. And the most polarizing rhetoric, as Trump usually uses, so it was filled with that kind of rhetoric, and it may have well been written in all caps for its tone. It's like shouting. Uh, Someone on social media I saw called it the political equivalent of the airing of the grievances from that Seinfeld episode about Festivus. That's a real old reference, but those who know, know. So here are some choice lines from Trump's six-page letter to Nancy Pelosi. Quote, by proceeding with your invalid impeachment, you are violating your oaths of office, you are breaking your allegiance to the Constitution, and you are declaring open war on American democracy. Just want to point out for folks listening, impeachment is a process outlined in the Constitution. It is the process for the peaceful removal of a president who is found in whatever way to have committed high crimes and misdemeanors or betrayed uh, the the office in the American people. So this is the definition of constitutional <laughs> because it is it is written into the laws of the land from the very beginning. Here's another one. He says, quote, Even worse than offending the founding fathers, you are offending Americans of faith by continually saying you pray for the president when you know this statement is not true unless it is meant in a negative sense. So Nancy Pelosi has said that she regularly prays for the president. She has said that openly and on more than one occasion. And now Trump in this line is calling her a liar. Or he's saying that if she does pray for him, it's only negative things for him when she's actually um, said things to the contrary. But bigger point, of all the things to criticize a person for saying, I'm praying for you, that's what he chooses to criticize. And furthermore, what, quote, Americans of faith, his term, is he or anyone um, who is praying for him offending? Surely he means the Trump evangelicals who represent a powerful voting bloc who are in support of the president no matter what. But definitely this letter couldn't be speaking for all Americans of faith. I am certainly not offended by anyone praying for the president. In fact, we are commanded in the Bible to pray for our leaders. So that was just a very strange line in a very strange letter. One more, one more quote. He said, in other words, once the phone call was made public, your whole plot blew up. But that didn't stop you from continuing. I think this line actually gives away Trump's strategy here. As always, Trump does the secret things out in public. And it's his very brazenness and unapologetic attitude that tricks some people into thinking he did nothing wrong. Because he acts like he didn't do anything wrong. He shows no shame, so they think he has nothing to be ashamed of. In this case, Trump released the modified transcript of his call with Ukrainian President Zelensky in the hopes, I think, that by exhibiting his usual shamelessness, he would take the teeth out of any wrongdoing or potential accusation. But it didn't work. It actually backfired. The transcript was basically an admission of guilt and a major piece of the evidence used to reach the impeachment vote. Now, there's more to the letter. You can read it online, but you get the point. It was a screed in the usual Trumpian vernacular, and it'll go down in history as an official document right alongside Lincoln's second inaugural address or JFK, JFK's ask not what your country can do for you, but for but what you can do for your country. 
It goes into the record alongside all these lofty presidential speeches. And this is the president we have. So what does all this mean, the impeachment in particular? Well, it means, in my view, a lot and not a lot. It means a lot because, like I said before, Trump becomes just the third president to be impeached. He'll forever go down in history as one of the very few presidents who got impeached. That being said, Trump won't be removed from office through impeachment. I think we all know this. The next step is that the case goes to the Senate, and they have to vote to impeach with a two-thirds majority. And right now, the Senate is held by a Republican majority who will all likely vote along party lines. That That is to say, they will vote not to impeach the president. And so uh, that process, whenever it takes place, will likely die in the Senate and Trump will remain president. Uh, Mitch McConnell, who's uh, 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 presiding over the Senate right now, Senate majority leader, he has no intention of judging according to the facts of the case when it comes to the Senate And I say that because he said verbatim that he is fully cooperating with the White House. So he's not necessarily, he's not exactly taking the stance of a detached juror who's going to weigh this evidence for what it is. Plus, Trump's support among voters remains stable. Um, It was at 43.3% in the outlet 538, their average of polls. And even though he'll go down in history as a president who got impeached, he may also go down in history as a president who won a second term after getting impeached. More likely is when it comes to this whole impeachment thing, Trump is going to use the fact that he did not get removed from office as evidence of his popularity. He'll say that he beat Democrats in the 2016 election, he shrugged off the the Mueller report a few months ago, and now he beat impeachment. And so he'll use that to bolster support for his 2020 re-election bid, and trust me, he's very likely to win. And that's for a whole host of other reasons, but that's for another episode. For Christians, here's my main thought, and it goes far beyond just these impeachment hearings. For years now, for Trump's entire presidency and even reaching back into his candidacy, into his candidacy, I've seen Christians of all races and ethnicities bend over backwards not to appear partisan. They've seen the hypocrisy of the most vocal Trump supporters, such as the court evangelicals, as, as John Fia terms them, and they don't want to be that. They, they've seen people basically selling out all the tenets of their faith for political power, particularly on the right. Um, so they so they don't want to be that, but they don't want to wholesale buy into the Democratic platform either. They don't want to make the equal and opposite mistake, um, like going blue or going bust, so to speak. But herein lies the biggest problem I see among Christians in relation to contemporary politics. It's the error of false equivalency. Both parties have flaws in their platform from a Christian perspective, and that's always been the case. But in this historical moment, what each party is doing is not the same. They're harmful when they're wrong, but they're not harmful in the same ways. Uh, So right now, the Republican Party is the party of Trump. It's not becoming, it's not it might be, it is the party of Trump. And the impeachment vote shows us that. And to be the party of Trump means to support someone who lies, mistreats women, 
is friendly to big corporations at the expense of the workers, plays on racist tropes, and lobbies foreign governments for personal political favors. It also means coddling white supremacists and bigots of all sorts. It means engaging in a politics that is purely pragmatic and power-oriented. And gone in this Republican Party, at least at the national level, is any sense of true service to the broader populace or for the civic good, at least as it comes in the form of their support for this president. Now, in saying that, I'm obviously not saying that Democrats are perfect either. They seem critically inept at coming up with a cohesive vision for the nation. They continually dismiss the concerns of religious people, specifically Christians, and they're leaning hard into issues of sexuality and gender that many people of faith, and not just Christians, find foreign and perhaps even incompatible with their faith. That being said, they're trying to preserve the basic tenets of democracy, like fair elections and a truly representative government. They, in this moment, stand against a president who uses the office for his personal gain and puts himself behind the people, or uh, rather, puts himself above the people he's supposed to serve. The parties both have their issues, as I've just said, but the consequences are not the same, and the nature of the issues are not identical. And I think too many Christians, in their attempt to appear nonpartisan, have actually failed to discern the difference between political differences of opinion and an existential threat to democracy. This is not a choice between Republican and Democrat, but between a multiracial representative democracy and a dictatorship. One moves closer to the ideals that the nation is supposed to stand for. The other stands diametrically opposed to those ideals. Now, I get it. Christians serve a higher kingdom, a higher power. We don't put our hope in princes. We don't put our hope in political officials. Our only hope is in Jesus. And for that reason, we can't call either party the quote-unquote true Christian party. We can't say to one another that you're not a Christian because you voted for this person or that person. We can say, however, that principles such as truth and service and loyalty and equality, those cross party lines. And when a party is steadfastly opposing such principles, we must oppose them, whatever party they happen to represent. As I've said before, um, in a sports competition, what's fair? Fair is not calling the same number of penalties against both teams. Fair is calling the penalties against the team that breaks the rules. And in certain games, one team is going to have far more violations than the other. But the right thing to do is to call the foul no matter who commits it, even if one team is racking up way more fouls and penalties than the other. Doesn't mean you're being unfair. means you're calling it like it is. Right now, Republicans are racking up a lot of fouls, and Trump is a big part of that, even if he's not the only part. And to the extent that Democrats are calling for the rules to be upheld and for those fouls to have consequences, then I think Christians can get behind that. And it doesn't mean you have to co-sign everything that Democrats are doing or stand for, but it does mean that you recognize that both political parties are not doing the same things right now. If we as believers in our attempt to appear nonpartisan, remain neutral in the face of injustice, then we are, in effect, perpetuating that injustice. Something to think about. 
The impeachment was not the last bit of important news that transpired this week. On Thursday night, the day after the impeachment, Mark Galley, the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today magazine, penned an editorial entitled Trump Should Be Removed from Office. Now, this article went viral. Major news outlets from CNN to the New York Times to the Washington Post to NPR, they all picked it up. It way it went way beyond the Christian or evangelical subculture. And the title really says it all, but let me give you some quotes. It says, but the facts in this instance are unambiguous. The president of the United States attempted to use his political power to coerce a foreign leader to harass and discredit one of the president's political opponents. This is not only a violation of the Constitution, more importantly, it is profoundly immoral. Here's another quote from the letter. It says, his Twitter feed alone with its habitual string of mischaracterizations, lies, and slanders, is a near-perfect example of a human being who is morally lost and confused. And finally, here's one more quote. None of the president's positives, which Galley earlier characterized as things like Supreme Court nominees and the economy, it says none of his positives can balance the moral and political danger we face under a leader of such grossly immoral character. Furthermore, Galley brought the historical receipts. Christianity Today ran an editorial in 1998 when Bill Clinton faced impeachment, and in that 1998 article they said, unsavory dealings and immoral acts by the president and those close to him have rendered this administration morally unable to lead. So I think this is important here because what Galley is doing is positioning this statement that he's writing in 2019 in historical continuity with what Christianity Today has done in the past. So it's not this unprecedented aberration, but when cases of impeachment come up, historically, uh, Christianity Today has spoken up. Um, I, I believe it also had an article when uh, Nixon was facing impeachment as well. Okay, so I put out a tweet. As soon as I found this out on social media, I retweeted the article and I said, this is significant. I said, historians are going to cite this for decades to come. And I meant that. Um, I mean significant in the sense, in the classic sense, like this is notable. Uh doesn't mean it's perfect or or great or on time or anything like that. I meant that it is something worth uh, paying attention to, and particularly in terms of history. As a student of history, um, I've literally been to the Christianity Today archives. I have looked through issues uh, of the magazine from 50 years ago and um, have done research on it. And I know from a historical perspective, if you're working on a particular topic, and I, I, there's going to be a ton of dissertations written about this uh, particular time period and the politics of it all and where Christians stood and where evangelicals stood, there are going to be a ton of researchers who are going to be looking for what evangelical outlets, especially ones, especially ones as prominent as Christianity today, where they stood on the issues. And so this editorial is going to be a massive, massive um, resource and frequently cited in future research. So that's what I was meaning in terms of the context of significant. But that doesn't mean at all that the letter 
was 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 perfect from my point of view. Number one, the timing, right? Like we got to think about why now? I mean, it's two. It's the end of 2019. Uh, Trump won in in 2016. Was was uh, sworn into office in January 2017. Has done incredibly egregious things throughout that time. And throughout that entire time, people of color and other marginalized people groups have been saying that he's unfit for the office, that what he's doing is self-aggrandizing and damaging to people, particularly those at the margins of society and power. So it is it is late. It is late. Um, in addition, we can look not just at the timing of the letter or its symbolism, but its actual content. Um, first, let me say this. Understand that Christianity Today, or CT for short, is still a very politically conservative outlet. Galley said they're center, center right or center left, but they're centrist. Um, and even if their actual employees may span a spectrum of political beliefs, the, a bunch of their readers and certainly their biggest financial supporters uh, skew politically right to the right. And so that's why I think Galley said these things that I'm about to say. I don't know anything about Galley's personal politics, but I do know he's in a context where if he shows even the slightest disapproval of Trump, he's going to face an enormous backlash, probably more than a lot of listeners to this podcast would face or perhaps even understand. But anyway, no, no, you know, here's what here's what's in the, the, the editorial. It says, quote, let's grant this to the president. The Democrats have had it out for him from day one, and therefore nearly everything they do is under a cloud of partisan suspicion. Galley goes on to say, and no, Mr. Trump did not have a serious opportunity to offer his side of the story in the House hearings or impeachment. Well, listen, I can't speak to every elected Democrat's motivations, but as far as official proceedings, much of what the Democrats did from not bringing impeachment charges up much sooner and they had any host of legitimate reasons for doing so, um, to to some Democrats actually risking their re-election chances by voting for impeachment because they represent red districts or, or districts that Trump won in 2016. All of that seems to me uh, their motivations are are pretty clear. And even if they're not, who, who knows what people are thinking in the secret of their hearts, but even if their motivations aren't clear, their actions have been clear. And it's been by the book, certainly far more on the up and up than many actions of the Republicans and the president's closest advisors uh, during this administration's. And I don't know what people expected. Trump and his administration had every opportunity to offer their side of things from bringing uh, their people to to um, to testify, to releasing documents, uh, to, you know, doing press releases and anything else beyond just what what happens in the impeachment proceedings. But they steadfastly refused. And then they complained that they didn't get a chance to present their side of the story. I mean, I don't think you can have it both ways. You can't say, oh, we want to tell our side of the story, then refuse those opportunities to tell the, your side of the story, and then get mad because you think you didn't get to tell your side. Of, it doesn't work like that. Here's another one. Another quote from the editorial. Whether Mr. Trump should be removed from office by the Senate or by popular vote next election, that's a matter of prudential judgment. That he should be removed we believe, is not a matter of partisan loyalties, but loyalty to the creator of the Ten Commandments. I think it's, I think it's important to note that Galley did not say Trump should be impeached 
he very carefully said, removed from office, which then leaves room for Trump's removal to come through either a vote or impeachment. And this is more of a side note. Let us not at all assume that the election in 2020 will be free and fair. Already, states like Georgia have purged more than 300,000 voters from their rolls for various reasons. And a lot of those voters are black and brown people who tend to vote Democratic. And, and Georgia's not the only state. Uh, we need to watch very carefully what happens in these next few months um, in terms of voter registration. So let's not assume that... that um, Letting the people decide, meaning through election, is is actually going to be representative of the people. Now, to be fair to Galley, he does state earlier in the editorial that Trump's behavior is, quote, a violation of the Constitution and also profoundly immoral. And this is coming a day after the impeachment trial. But but I just noticed that he said Trump should be removed, not Trump should be impeached. You know, there's a lot more to the letter and you should you should definitely read it. But in sum, I think this is about as bold a statement as we could expect from a publication like Christianity Today, uh, a, a publication that has assiduously avoided strong political statements, and that's part of their brand, and it's a publication whose readers are predominantly white evangelicals, and it's an outlet whose financial supporters skew very politically conservative. In terms of impact, I think we should be realistic with our expectations. So I don't think this article actually makes a big difference at the polls. I think the majority of self-identified white evangelical voters will still vote for Trump in the 2020 election. And Christianity Today and really no single organization has the clout to completely change the political winds of white evangelicals. I think even that expectation is wrong because what what single organization could you even point to it would have to be a network um uh, uh, uh an ecosystem of organizations which have built the current political climate among evangelicals and um many elements in that ecosystem would have to change for for us to see any sort of noticeable difference at the polls all that being said this editorial in support of removing trump from office puts i think immense pressure on other similarly situated white evangelical organizations and institutions to make a statement. So it's the Russell Moores and the ERLCs, it's the TGCs and the Tim Kellers. If they haven't made their position on the matter of impeachment uh, specifically and Trump's removal from office more generally, if they haven't made their position clear, then this article from Christianity Today makes that silence even louder. We're in polarizing times, folks. The stakes are very high. Staying in the middle will only leave you split in two. People are going to have to take sides, even if they find themselves in league with folks they never thought they'd be on the same side with. But here we are. Take a stand. That's it for this week. Remember to support The Witness Foundation. Visit thewitnessfoundation.co. That's thewitnessfoundation.co. Help us raise a million dollars for black Christian ministry. Like my author page on facebook.com forward slash Jamar Tisby one. Facebook.com forward slash Jamar Tisby and the number one. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Jamar Tisby. Remember, you can contact me via email footnotespod1, footnotespod1 at gmail.com. 
Thanks to our production assistant, Christina Button, our award-winning producer, Bo York. Footnotes is part of the Witness Podcast Suite. Check out thewitnessbcc.com for more great content. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jamar Tisby, and this is Footnotes. And all my life, I pray for someone like you. And I thank God that I, that I finally found you. And all my life, I pray for someone like you. And I hope that you feel the same way too. Yes, I pray that you do love me too. Oh, hello there. Welcome to End Notes. Ending your day with classic R&B from the 1990s. The best R&B. Perhaps the only R&B that matters. I'm your host, Jamar Tisby. Coming at you in the next hour is Boys to Men and some Jodeci. So whoever you love, find them, pull them close, lean back and relax as you listen to the soothing sounds of End Notes. Wait a minute. What? Uh, wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, folks. Uh, let's try this again. Footnotes, episode 16, starting in 5, 4, 3, 2,